If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, welcome. Welcome to the program today. It's Tuesday. Great to have you with us, November 21st. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. You're listening to TNT. Today's news talk, the next two hours, will be action-packed news and analysis. We'll take you on a journey around the world. We'll show you what you need to know, what's really impacting the international scene. We'll be joined in a couple of minutes anyway by our old friend, Mr. Basil Valentine, to give us updates on the Gaza situation. There's a lot of uh, breaking developments there, including talk of a truce, of a ceasefire. It seems to be something's coming whether it's temporary, I don't think it's going to be permanent. Anyway, we'll get Basil's opinion on it. He's been pretty accurate uh, pretty much on everything since this conflict uh, began. So we look forward to talking to him. Now, in the second hour, we're going to be joined by Sam Parker, uh, a analyst from America, former Senate candidate in Utah. He's going to be joining us with some interesting information. Sam's uh, been following the crisis in Palestine very closely, especially uh, looking at behind the scenes, there's some leaked documents from the Israeli side. Now, this came out earlier, but they're very important. We're going to rehash those and look over those. They're very important because they show uh, an admission by the Israeli government that there was a plan, there is a plan to ethnically cleanse the population of Palestine, push them into the Egyptian desert, actual written policy. Uh, we'll reveal that in the second hour. I think this is very important because it's very instructive as to the real plan and why we're seeing what we're seeing happening, why it's unfolding and what the end game truly is. Uh, I don't think Israel's being straightforward about it. Of course, they're just using this crisis as an opportunity to enact these long-term plans, ones that are in writing, actually. We'll, sh we'll discuss the documents uh, and if possible, we'll drop some of those links in the TNT chat room, by the way. Hello to everybody in the TNT chat community. Great to have you guys with us. We'll try to drop some truth nuggets uh, in there, especially in the second hour. Great to have you with us. Uh, you can go ahead and follow Sam Parker on X Twitter as well. I'm following him, as are many others. His tweets are amazing and very informative. We'll talk to him in the second hour. Some big breaking developments, and I think I need to discuss this right up front. And I want to talk about Ukraine as well, because there's some developments there, too. Not positive, not for Ukraine anyway. But Yemen has entered the fray. We spoke about this yesterday. We had Maro Osman on the line. Uh, we spoke about this on the program. Great interview with Marwa. Uh, she really just dropped uh, so much information for us in a very short window. We're very grateful. She is literally on the front lines. Uh, with the battle uh, Lebanon is fighting with Israel right now in the south of Lebanon, which is occupied par partially anyway by Israel. They're exchanging fire, certainly as an outgrowth of the situation in Gaza, but a Yemen is a game changer. And here's why. The Yemeni resistance, Ansar Allah, known in the West as the Houthis, okay, it's not their real name. This is what they call them in the West, it's kind of to denigrate them a little bit, the Houthis. No, it's Ansar Allah. That is effectively the government of Yemen. There is still 
part of South Yemen that's somewhat quasi under the control of the United States and Saudi Arabia. That was the whole plan, by the way, of initiating the war in Yemen that was uh, initiated under Barack Obama, the Nobel Peace Prize winning president that started more wars than any U.S. president in history, Barack Obama. March 2015, if I recall correctly, I think that's correct. That's when the Yemeni war started. That's when the United States convinced Saudi Arabia uh, that they could take down uh, Yemen and partition it and effectively take sort of proxy control over the south and then starve the north. That was the plan under the old Saudi regime. But however, some of the old guard are now out in Saudi Arabia and the new guard uh, came to realize in recent years that they were duped by the U.S. Behind them were the British and the Israelis were also working. This is true. The Israelis were working with the Saudis and the Americans and the British. There's some French and also Spain, one or two other countries, NATO countries, were involved. Uh, Israel was involved uh, militarily. They're providing various uh, skills, uh, electronic uh, surveillance, signals, intelligence, etc. Some military support too. Okay, Whenever there's a war like this, this is how dirty wars go. Every country gets involved. All the NATO countries will get involved. You'll have a lead country. That'll be the U.S. Obviously, they got the most resources. They'll supply their proxy, which is Saudi Arabia, with everything they need, similar to what the U.S. is doing in Ukraine. They tried this model first in the Middle East. And then you'll have the bolt-on uh, partners because they need military experience. So whenever there's a, a war, especially an illegal war, it's an opportunity for other nato members to get training like real-time training get field experience bombing uh killing civilians all these these great experiences that the nato countries need uh, in order to keep themselves ready for the next illegal war you see how the system works am i being cynical and facetious no i'm being absolutely accurate that's how it works Britain will deploy special forces and covert operations. Right now, today, Britain probably has covert operations in at least at least 30 different theaters around the world. And they'll be in places you can't possibly imagine. They'll be in some strange places where you have sort of some potential fighting break, breaking out or something like that. Um, or drug running. They're in Central America. They're in Colombia. Uh, they're in Asia. They're everywhere. They're in Africa in a big way. They're all, and then they're in the Middle East, of course. They're in Syria right now. They're they're probably in uh, in Yemen, uh, and they're certainly probably in the occupied territories, working with the IDF, because Britain believes it needs to be. This is how it keeps its finely oiled machine of special covert operations, SAS, uh, special boat services, SBS, all of this is how they keep them sort of sharp. Ukraine, perfect example. They have to have people there. So this is how the illegal system works. So they did this to Yemen for like nine years. It would be the ninth year, March, March 2024. Be the ninth year coming up, anniversary. And they did this to Yemen to try to break Yemen. But what happened was interesting. It broke Saudi Arabia. Yemen, with their ragtag resistance, literally out of Star Wars, Think of the Rebel Alliance with all their crazy ships and duct tape, gaffer taped, you know, weapons and sitting out there with machine guns, RPGs, with sandals and sarongs. 
literally firing at Saudi jets. That's how it started in old Toyota pickup trucks. But they adapted eventually to the point where they basically brought Saudi Arabia to their knees. The Saudi took heavy losses, and Saudi, by the way, hired its ground a lot of its ground forces from Sudan. They used Africans to fight on the ground. Uh, the UAE, I think, did did similar operations. They were involved. They pulled out earlier, but it it turned Yemen into or answer a lot. They're still they're still technically at war. There's a ceasefire with Saudi Arabia, and they're talking. This is a good. It's positive. But they turned the Yemeni resistance into a battle-hardened military, a formidable military force. That's what the U.S. and Saudi Arabia and those other people I mentioned, that's what they did. They created that. They tried to destroy Yemen. They starved it. They put it under the most brutal blockade, keeping aid, food, water, caused famine, cholera, all sorts of things. And they won't forget. And, and they see this, what's happening in Gaza as an opportunity to strike back at those that tried to kill them. And they did. They killed, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people will ultimately have died or will die as a result of the, the dirty war on Yemen and the blockade. So they're pushing back. So they seized an Israeli ship. They seized a giant cargo ship in the Red Sea. It's a cargo ship owned by an Israeli billionaire named Rami Ungar. Okay, this is not just any billionaire. This billionaire happens to be a close friend of Yoav Gallant, the Israeli defense minister that called the Palestinians animals. The man who is in charge of this rapacious genocide in Gaza. That's the best buddy. And it's 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 accepted by many that Rami Angar does work for Mossad. Is he trafficking weapons here? We'll soon find out. But he reports suggest, and I, I need to confirm this. I'm only going by what I'm seeing on the news wires here and on Twitter that Rami Ungar was on board this ship that was seized by Ansar Allah, the Yemenis. They took a helicopter. They boarded the ship with Yemeni special forces. They took control of this massive, massive cargo ship, state of the art ship. They've taken it back to wherever they're taking it back to, and they're holding it. They've seized it. Is Rami Angar on board? If so, would he be the most high-value hostage maybe in history? This is major, okay? And they did it very, very efficiently. See, Yemeni forces are not the JV squad. Nine years. And they beat one of the most powerful militaries in the world in Saudi Arabia with the Air Force, all the bells and whistles, using U.S. satellites to guide their targets. They had all this stuff, air-to-air -air refueling. Yemeni brought them to their knees. Do not underestimate Ansar Allah in Yemen. Do not. Because this is a formidable spoke in the axis of resistance, as Marwa Osman said yesterday. This is a... Unbelievable. So how's Israel going to respond to this? What, are they going to launch airstrikes against Yemen? They can't without flying over Saudi airspace. Are they going to do a loop around around the Red Sea and come up uh, under the Gulf of Aden and then strike Sana'a from there? No, they can't. Are they going to fire missiles over Saudi airspace or Jordan? No, they can't. So what are they going to do? I don't think they can do anything. They can threaten to assassinate the Yemeni resistance. 
That's not working too well, is it, in, in Gaza? They say that we're going to eliminate Hamas. They haven't eliminated any high-value Hamas leaders after killing tens of thousands and maiming, injuring, destroying tens of thousands of Palestinian lives, homes. Nothing. No results there. So you think they're going to get them in Yemen? No. So what does this mean? Israeli goods and services on the high seas are now in question. Add to that a couple of countries that are now moving to sanction Israel, and eventually we're going to see a very different picture. The world is going to have to deal with this problem. Finally, they're going to have to face this problem. And leading the resistance is none other than Yemen. Ladies and gentlemen, honestly, it's uh, it's like a novel. I honestly don't know what to say. The footage from this is unbelievable. Anyway, let's take a break here with TNT, Today's News Talk, and Connect Basil Valentine. We'll talk about Ukraine in the second hour. We're going to push that back uh, because I wanted to get to the bottom of this Yemen story. But we'll connect Basil in just a moment. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be right back. TNT Radio's James Freeman. I think at this point now, I'm disgusted that the UK has not called for an immediate ceasefire. The British government is usually quick to condemn many countries around the world for breaking international law. So what is different here? Yes, what Hamas did was terrible. And yes, it needs to be addressed. But whatever Hamas did does not justify the deliberate bombing of civilians because no one can say that it's not deliberate. Um, you can't merely say that civilian deaths in their thousands are acceptable collateral damage. You can never say that, not with these numbers. It is deliberate what is going on. I'm seeing numbers of around 10,000 dead now, including 4,000 children. And that was two days ago those numbers came in. Innocents in all of this, um, they've never voted for this and they have no say whatsoever in any of it. 3,000 people were killed in the 9-11 attacks in the US and the world looked on in horror and yet 4,000 children have been killed by Israeli bombs and too many dismiss this saying that Israel has the right to defend itself. James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Council and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want.
Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored News. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to TNT, today's news talk. We're still in hour number one of this live broadcast. Welcome. I'm your host, Patrick Kennison. Wherever you are in the world, we really appreciate your listenership and your viewership as TNT makes the transition to live vision. Very excited about that, of course. And uh, we'll be giving you more opportunities to see TNT on the various platforms in the near future. So do look out. Now, on the line right now with me is our great friend and cohort, Mr. Basil Valentine. And Basil has been following the story in the Middle East very closely uh, for the duration of this phase of the crisis beginning October 7th. But of course, in reality, Basil's been on this beat for a very long time, years in fact. But however, he's been very accurate on pretty much everything that he's covered and given a very balanced assessment throughout this conflict. Hence, he is one of the more reliable voices that you can find in the independent media to give an even-handed analysis of what's actually going on, but not uh, losing touch with humanity, which I see happening a lot in the mainstream media and also in the independent media, Basil. There's people that have fallen into an analytical crevice and they just can't get out and they just forget the fact that there's people uh, at the other end of these bombs and under these buildings. And I don't want to start with a soliloquy or a diatribe here, but I think it's important to underline this fact. We are dealing with real people here. Uh, and it's so easy to forget as we all get sucked into the sixth week of this horror show that we've been watching. And everybody's got a different way of coping with this, Basil. I'm sure you've uh, been through various emotional phases and the people that you're constantly talking with and interacting with as well. But uh, your assessment right now in week number six of this crisis, and let's talk about some of the important updates uh, surrounding Gaza. Go ahead, Basil. Well, yeah, people are in danger of suffering from sort of emotional crisis fatigue, where the initial shock and revulsion at what's happening gives way to uh, a sort of numbness, really, um, because it seems it doesn't matter how many people turn out on the streets of however many cities, it doesn't matter how many sit-ins there are, uh, it doesn't matter how repulsive the images we see coming out of Gaza are, the stances of the Israeli-US-UK alliance doesn't change. We will continue with the massacres. Um, you know, we'd all hoped and believed that democracy means more than simply a plebiscite once every four or five years to elect a dictator. But it seems not. People's voices are not being heard. The vast majority of people all over the world want to see an immediate and permanent cessation to hostilities prior to detailed forensic examination of exactly what's gone on before it gets any worse. But instead, uh, we're getting uh, calls for humanitarian uh, assistance for an end to this carnage just falling on deaf ears so people get rather depressed about it in the end patrick they do they do and you know i'm i'm absolutely at the end of my rope um you know especially debating israelis um on this i've been on a number of forums on twitter spaces uh over the last couple of weeks and uh it's just 
the how the 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 I don't know what it is, but just detachment, detachment from the human suffering. Uh, they talk about it like it's a video game, um, and like this is some sort of game of risk, and uh, these are all just collateral damage pieces on a chessboard. But the 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 casualties, the deaths, they're mounting up, and I can't even calculate Basil the amount of lives that are ruined for generations and thousands all, all, and yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands. I mean. Uh, something like 1% of the entire population of Gaza has now been murdered. And probably 3 or 4% have been mutilated or maimed, many with life-changing injuries. This is the thing. The bunker buster bombs cause shards of razor-sharp shrapnel to fly in every direction. The white phosphorus causes horrendous burns. These are really criminal utterly inhuman weapons being used on a defenseless civilian population. It's gone beyond the point even of revenge. This looks like it comes from a particularly pernicious place of hatred of the other, which is now being expressed to the full. No, it is indeed. It is indeed. I can't help. I can't help but uh, feel this is a very, very much a low point for uh, Western civilization western hegemony and their uh, beachhead in the middle east is uh, completely unsustainable now i think that's beyond debate but let's get to the matters at hand are we any closer basil to a truce or a ceasefire they're talking about pauses uh there's different it means different things to different people all of this is part of negotiations and then even then basil even if there's an agreement even if there's negotiations will it hold because uh by my last count basil every single ceasefire that's ever been set uh between israel and the palestinians has been broken not by the palestinians but by israel go ahead Yes, that's right. Well, I saw this morning that close to 3,000 uh, Israeli soldiers had been killed since the ground incursion began a couple of weeks ago. It that's depends what source. Hold on. Yeah, it depends what source. The IDF is capped it off at like 66. That is not the case, obviously. It's much higher than that. So I have seen varying reports. Where where are we seeing the 3,000 report? Because I've also seen 600. I've seen 800 plus. But to where, where are we seeing those reports? There's different reports depending on who's who's broadcasting. I know it's a high, a higher number than what Israel's saying. Go ahead, Basil. Well, that was Jackson Hinkle, whose uh, X account has gone viral in recent weeks. And I believe he was quoting Palestinian sources saying the uh, Israeli death toll is nearly 3,000. If it is that number, then I would have expected to see bigger demonstrations on the streets of Tel Aviv against Netanyahu. So, I, you know, I think that figure may be a bit high. We don't know. We It's quite possible we will never know. You know, uh, it's as simple as I, that. Really. I, I, I think I just quickly, I think Israel also has something in their bylaws that if they're at war, that type of information cannot be made public until after the fighting because it right. could hurt morale or destabilize the system. So the, it's literally codified in their law or whatever that, that they can't give the true numbers so it's literally total full-blown fascism uh in that respect go ahead and in many other respects i would venture to suggest i mean the uh the agenda now is clearly one of permanent ethnic cleansing of gaza 
dressed up as humanitarian relief. You know, look, this place is going to be unlivable because we've destroyed it. And now uh, what's more, we can't live next to these people, obviously. Therefore, they have to be absorbed into Western Europe and North America. This is the agenda being floated. But this is ethnic cleansing and this is a war crime. And this has to be dismissed out of hand at source. It cannot be entertained for a moment. Uh, it goes very much against what... Lincoln had been saying about a two-state solution. That old mantra has been revived like some kind of uh, zombie. You know, the two-state solution was so stone dead, but it's been given a shot of electricity like in a horror film, a come back to life. You know, goodness knows where the Palestinian state is supposed to exist. People are talking about the Palestinian Authority taking over Gaza. Uh, we shall see. Um, you know. Meanwhile, of course, the killings and the raids in the West Bank continue. So celebrated Palestinian poet and author Mosab Abu Toha, he was arrested in the uh, in Gaza while trying to flee. Um, one of his children is an American citizen. Not that that makes any difference to the Israelis. Who it's worth pointing out. Uh, people are saying uh, they've been targeting the brightest and the best among Palestinians. They've been deliberately murdering doctors and surgeons and journalists and cultural figures and community leaders. They have These people have died in disproportionately large numbers compared to the rest of the population. We got a breaking update on the, the truce negotiations. I'll just read this and want to get your opinion on this. Basil Israeli and Hamas negotiators through U.S. and Qatari mediators are, are closing in, quote, closing in on an agreement to secure the release of some of the hostages taken during the October 7th attack in exchange for a humanitarian pause in Israeli airstrikes and ground campaign and unnamed sources familiar told NBC News. So, uh, again, it's more of the same of the last couple of days. And according to various media reports that this deal, which uh, is not finalized, it's not been agreed on by anybody, we're talking about negotiations or talks here, uh, could involve the release of some 50 women and children held in Gaza in exchange for Palestinian women and minors held in Israeli prisons. Obviously, there's much more Palestinians held in the Israeli gulags uh, than there are uh, held in Gaza. Okay. Uh, and that, that would also accompany with some kind of a temporary uh, ceasefire. And so apparently... So what, what happens to the detainees? This is the question, Patrick. Uh, some of them are from the West Bank. Some of them are from Gaza. Do uh, Palestinian detainees from Gaza get released back into Gaza so they can then be bombed? Is that the idea? You know, we'll allow them out... Back you go to Gaza. Now we're going to kill you instead of imprisoning you. Is that well, the agenda? They'll want to be uh, with their families, obviously. If they're from Gaza, they'll want to be definitely with their families. They'll take their chances uh, out of the fire line uh, in the north of Gaza, certainly. But Or Israel might want to separate them, Basel, because if they're high-value detainees or they're connected with top families or whatever, they'll dump them in the West Bank and prevent them from going to Gaza's way of separating yes. Yes. So, yeah, that's a possibility as well. Yeah. So, uh, um, just, just, Xi yeah, Jinping, go ahead. Just, Xi Jinping. 
Chinese Premier has called for the convening of an international peace conference to resolve the Israel-Hamas conflict, and he's urged the release of what he calls, of course, the Ch- translation from Chinese is always interesting, but what he's called civilian detainees, uh, which, of course, would include Palestinian prisoners, many of whom are held without charge, uh, and an immediate ceasefire. He was addressing a virtual summit of fellow BRICS leaders, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, uh, today and was quoted by the state-run Jinhua news agency as saying, all parties in the conflict should immediately cease fire and hostilities, stop all violence and attacks targeting civilians, and release civilian detainees to avoid more loss of lives and suffering. He said there could be no sustainable peace and security in the Middle East without a just solution to the question of Palestine, adding that China has been working actively to promote peace talks and a ceasefire. Beijing calls for an early convening of an international peace conference to work toward an early solution to the question of Palestine that is comprehensive, just and sustainable. Well, those are very fine words. They are, I would argue, the best words to come from the leader of any major country, major country anywhere in the world. Um, but the question is, do you think the Israelis pay any attention to what the Chinese say, Patrick? <laughs> uh, unless it's accompanied by some kind of major economic sanctions. or I, I'm sure Israel depends on China for quite a lot, as do most countries in the world that run modern economies. So I mean, that's one thing. If China breaks off diplomatic relations or sanctions or embargoes Israel, so that's going to have ripple effects. You know, so what if China gets into this, this game? So at least right here, I think what they're doing is signaling to the world that China is going to take the lead on being the adult in the room. China and Russia. Russia's taken the lead at the UN Security Council weeks ago, calling for a ceasefire. Weeks ago, uh, being you know basically vetoed by the United States uh, at every turn. China is now calling for a peace conference. They want solutions. So it looks like we we see, we're seeing the multipolar world, Basil, emerge here. The uh, I guess no adults in the room in Washington, so they're appearing. Well, Only yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. That's true. That's pretty regrettable. Biden, did you, did you happen to catch his op-ed he put in the Washington Post uh, two days ago? <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like it was just like cherry picked off of George Bush speeches. You know, we are the essential nation. This is a dark time in history. We must stay the course. All this other stuff. It's just the same old pap. It's like a neocon yeah. wrote the speech. Maybe the neocons yes. did. Maybe they are the neocons. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The, the, you know, the uh, so-called Democratic Party went fully neocon. Um, well, you know, I'd argue sort of perhaps midway through the Obama administration, you know, something like that, you know, gradually shifted. I mean, Obama did at least produce the JCPOA on Iran. But uh, I, I digress. Back to the essential issue that today's um, a virtual summit of the BRICS leaders was convened by South African President Cyril Ramaphosa, who has been arguably the most vociferous world leader in his condemnation of uh, what's going on, the genocide. Um, and 
it's crystallizing a revolt by leaders of the global south against American support for the bombardment of Gaza, uh, with Arab diplomats meeting their counterparts in both China and Moscow. The Biden administration has apparently been repeatedly warned by its own diplomats that it risks a serious loss of support amongst global South nations who are accusing the US of displaying double standards by condemning Russian war crimes in Ukraine, yet remaining silent over Israel's actions in Gaza. Mm. Double standards, uh, that seems to be the feature, not the bug at the moment for some countries. But uh, li- listen to this, just just off the wires, just an update. Here, the death toll in Gaza, according to the Ministry of Health. By the way, Hamas does not run the Gaza Ministry of Health. It's uh, paid for and run by the Palestinian Authority, just so people know. Uh, the, the Gaza Ministry for Health said the the uh, recorded dead, 13,300, uh, has been announced. Among the dead are more than 5,600 children, 3,550 women, says the ministry here. The number of missing these are people unaccounted for, likely still under the rubble uh, after the Israeli bombing runs, uh, is numbered uh, well over 2,000 at this point. Just imagine that. So you can, you know, that that puts us at 15,000 dead and 31,000 wounded, 31,000 wounded in the six weeks since Israel began its carpet bombing of densely populated unarmed civilians. There we are. It's uh, it seems to be getting worse, not better. Of course, it can only get worse. Actually, but that's just the latest. Well, no, numbers. it can get better, Patrick. It, I mean, you know, it'll get better once the bombing stops. But uh, what kind of rollback is there going to be? To what extent is Israel going to be held account? Uh, you know, the Turks, the South Africans have been amongst the nations making noises about taking. Uh, Israel to the ICC, but I've seen a report that the Spanish minister, Iona Belara, uh, has been sacked. She was the one speaking out and saying that there should be sanctions imposed on Israel, uh, not only stopping arms sales, but that also the ICC should issue arrest warrants for the likes of Netanyahu. Uh, and of course, that's uh, extremely uncomfortable for the European Union. There you have a minister in a European Union. Union government, um, who isn't offering simply mild criticism of the European Union position, but he's actually saying it's criminal. You know, uh, von der Leyen's ghoulish embrace of Netanyahu and uh, Herzog. So I, I saw earlier in this week that she'd been sacked by Pedro Sanchez, the Spanish prime minister, who has just won uh, another term. Uh, but I, I couldn't find that anywhere in Google News. I searched for her name, under her name, Click News, not a single report. Very, very surprising, Patch. I couldn't, I couldn't work that out because that's, she that's was making type, headlines. Yeah. That's Go the on. type of censorship that's this type of censorship there that people don't realize that Google can actually disappear people and events that and to make it almost like it's inconsequential like it didn't happen basically but that should be yeah. a major story you're correct that should absolutely. be a major story absolutely so i you know i, I searched several times with uh, making sure that you know I've got the spelling right and adding key keywords minister sacked and all the rest of it and absolutely nothing at all not a single item nothing so yep 
Yep. So, so there were, you know, look at this hostage swap thing. It started off with the uh, Hamas, uh, the Palestinian resistance, saying they had they're going to release 240 hostages. Okay, 240 hostages um, in exchange for uh, 1,700 women and children held in Israel's Gulag prison system. Um, all those political prisoners, women and children. And then they would do it, um, it would be over a period of five five days, and they'd release 50 a day, and Israel would release the uh, appropriate um counterpart number to that and that would happen over a five-day period so it would be like in phase release so that obviously the israelis weren't prepared to release that many political prisoners especially the women and the children from their gulag system which they're very proud of in israel that they keep all these thousands of palestinians uncharged as political prisoners and america looks the other way as if it doesn't exist same with britain and the eu as if it doesn't exist but anyway <laughs> I digress. I digress. They're digressing. Um, anyway, this, they had to re, re, redo that deal. Now it was revised to 50 uh, women and children released. Um, and then they would also open up the Rafa border uh, with a three-day ceasefire. So this will be Oh, wow, three days. How three generous, days. Patrick. You know, yes, sir. How so it's gone generous. From five days. It's gone from five days to three days um, and yeah. significantly reduced number of hostages released on both sides. So, look, let's let's not kid ourselves. The Israeli negotiation tactic is legendary, Basil, which is that they uh, they, they do a deal or they the, the deal breaks down because Israel make conditions that are completely unacceptable for the other side then what israel does is go to the press and the united states media and say we offered them a good terms but they turned it down so you know we gave them a chance we wanted peace but they don't they didn't because they're they're terrorists basically that's how it usually plays out right the the breakdown after this so are we seeing another kind of episode of this right now where it's going to play out in the media as he said she said and then the bombing just continues the status quo continues or we're we actually going to see something significant here basil uh well the jury's out patrick we you know we'll just have to wait and see what transpires over the next couple of days but um it sounds like a pretty you know, after all this time, this is all that's been managed is such a short window is very, very disappointing. But that way, um, the, the other very disappointing thing I'm seeing is that Britain has deployed an extra thousand military personnel around the Middle East, uh, including in Tel Aviv itself. This was um, the junior defense minister, James Heapy, said yesterday in a parliamentary answer that uh, British troops are in Tel Aviv, apparently, uh, liaising with the Israeli forces in case of a wider war and the need to evacuate UK personnel. But quite why a thousand extra military personnel have to be deployed in the Middle East, uh, you know, beyond me. They have to. I mean, is, are you talking about Britain, right? Yes, UK troops. Yes, 
Yeah, they they have to deploy them because um, if there's any opportunity to deploy anybody anywhere, Britain always does it. It's like literally they have no other choice. They, that's their doctrine. Basically, is we need to deploy all the time um, in in small numbers in order to keep our special forces and our ready forces sharp and give them actual you know field experience and things like that. But also to show to the British public that they're still busy and doing things and seem to be useful in the world. Um, even if that's blowing up bridges in uh, in, in in the Black Sea, um, that they're still sort of relevant. So that, that this is their mo, basically. So they they will deploy. Yeah. They will deploy. Yeah, it's it's a guarantee. They have to be involved. Got to get a finger in there. Got to. Sometimes they're doing actual ops. They're probably they probably have special forces working with the IDF right now. Probably blowing things up, killing people. Um, who knows? But they're involved basically because they sort of that's their forte. Is basically working between the lines and behind the scenes. Basically, that's that's there. It is rule yeah. Britannia. Rule Britannia still active, still relevant in their own minds, anyway. Uh, but uh, what should they be doing? Should they should they not be spending that energy, Basil, pursuing a diplomatic solution? Wouldn't that be more productive uh, than sort of trying to ride the military wave and get involved militarily? Why not uh, put that energy into diplomacy and like bring this madness to an end? That's the part I don't get, Basil. That's the part I don't get. Certainly, that would be the most prudent course of action. But I don't think I don't think we're dealing with people here that are thinking along those lines, pragmatic common sense for the good of everybody. I, I don't think we've, we're dealing with those types of people. I think we're dealing with something different. My well, opinion. one could argue sort of grow, grown-up diplomacy died with 9-11, really, and was sort of overtaken by this sort of vengeful bloodlust, you know, look what's happened, we must get revenge, that took over from diplomacy uh, on the day after 9-11, even though, of course, you know, the people who it was claimed were responsible for 9-11 had absolutely nothing to do with it, you know. Um including bin laden that bin laden letter was circulating but of course he always denied he that letter talks about why somebody would attack the west but it denies any involvement himself he always denied it and the fbi admitted they had nothing on him yeah the in fact he wasn't even on the fbi's most wanted list for the longest time and until the alternative media kept making a big deal about why is bin laden not on your top most wanted list they they then you know after years they eventually put him on the list then magically he turns up in pakistan and obama takes credit during a re-election year for assassinating him i thought that was funny uh but uh that's another debate another story i'm here with basil valentine political commentator and a great uh, trusted analyst on the issue in the Middle East with Palestine right now in the Gaza Strip, that crisis. We'll talk about this and more. We'll also talk about the false flag uh, element, which seems to be more and more uh, at the at the front of people's minds in terms of what could go wrong in the situation. All this and more on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. You're listening to TNT, today's news talk. Stay with us. We'll be back. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Once again, I'm going to quote from my buddy Mark Marano's Climate Depot. This is just unbelievable what I see going on at this summit between Biden and the Chinese government. As a matter of fact, 
The most alarming thing is that John Kerry was anywhere around that place. These two guys and their administrations have been bullying the United States of America over a problem that even if it existed, we have very little to do with it. Australia, UK, you have nothing to do with it. Canada, you have nothing to do with it. Seriously, if you look at the amount of CO2 you put in the air compared to total CO2, it truncates to zero. Now, who is the biggest polluter, if you want to call CO2 pollutant? It's China. So expert raise alarm after Biden strikes climate agreement with China to shut down fossil fuels. What, what kind of insanity is this? China thumbs their nose and laughs at the rest of the world. And guess what? It's our fault they do it. You know why? They know darn well that this is not a big disaster. They know darn well they have to push forward their population. I mean, I realize China's in bad shape as far as freedoms go, but they are trying to work in their own whatever manner to try to create more freedoms and more prosperity for China. So of course they're going to sit there and try to stop the United States. And these guys just walk right into it. It's disgusting. Americans are letting a guy and his buddy John Kerry bully them over a situation they have precious little to do with. Let me read you the facts. CO2 is 0.042% of the atmosphere. Man is responsible for 3 to 5% of that. The United States is responsible for 10% of that total. Australia, Canada, the UK, about 1%. Essentially, it's nothing. Much ado about nothing. They weaponize weather in a phony climate war. It's unbelievable. This is TNT, climate and weather watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. I need to go get my rabies shots. We all know what it's like to feel alone. But it just takes one new connection. Want to get out of here? To empower many. This is unbelievable. It doesn't take a superhero to bring forces together. We all have the power to reach out. Let's go! And help someone feel like they belong. Pretty cool, huh? We are stronger together. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. We're still in the first hour of this live broadcast. I'm joined by Basil Valentine, our trusted analyst and a voice of reason and accuracy uh, on the Middle East and the Gaza situation. Basil's on the line right now. Basil, I want to share something with you. This is, again, back to Joe Biden's op-ed in the Washington Post. I'll give you a few highlights here, but it's basically a George W. Bush style. We need to stay the course. We're going to beat al-Qaeda. We're going to win in Iraq, etc. So that's what Biden's saying. His three-front war mantra it seems to be on heavy rotation here and it's basically this is a build-up to a war with iran is basically what he's saying so according to biden hamas is repeatedly denounced here pure and unadulterated evil etc and so basically not talking about what israel's doing in gaza of course it's all about what hamas did on october 7th or what hamas didn't do if you actually look at the israeli media reports here so anyway that 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 was a big part of it kind of going in the beginning this pure evil thing so it's again it's the it's a rehash of the axis of evil and it goes on basically painting iran as the sort of puppet master if you will uh still blathering on about a two-state solution as if that's even possible at this point and i'm wondering who wrote this thing a drive for conquest 
So he's been, the Ukraine war, we need to keep funding it. We need to stay the course in Ukraine. And I don't know, probably let's just throw Taiwan in there for good measure. Let's confront the Chinese uh, and protect uh, Taiwan from the fragile democracy in the Pacific Rim, you know, the whole the whole spiel there. So this this is not a good piece here. And it wasn't written by Biden um, because he couldn't write anything. Let's be honest. He can't even stand up and read a teleprompter at this point. So like who wrote it? Uh, Susan Rice, Jake Sullivan, the neocons, the Israeli embassy. I'm not sure who wrote this, but um, it's just complete hodgepodge here. Now, what it makes me wonder this. Okay. What Basil, and here's the question for you. So, so all, all we need is some sort of a pretext some sort of a trigger, some sort of a Cassius Belli, if you will, uh, call it a false flag. So we're in that sort of danger zone here, Basil, where it just takes one match just dropped in the right place to putting the whole thing up in flames. And then all of a sudden this happens and that reaction happens and this happens. And we have, you know, effectively a type of a world war uh, unfolding and maybe a few nukes get popped off at that point it, 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 to imagine that happening under the under the watchful eye of this uh, senile uh, main corrupt maniac they've got in the White House here go ahead well Biden had uh, what were described as sort of very constructive talks with Xi Jinping on the fringes of the APEC not APAC APEC Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Organization outside San Francisco last week and have done quite a bit to patch up U.S.-Sino relations. So I think that the uh, the Taiwan situation is in the fridge for the time being. But that doesn't mean uh, that Tehran isn't in the gun sights. But um, the, the, the Iran's foreign minister has said the country just doesn't want the war to spread. Uh, if I can quote Hossein Amir Abdullahian. The region is at boiling point and any moment it may explode and this may be unavoidable. If this happens, all sides will lose control. Of course, the Yemeni suit, he's took over an Israeli flagged ship in the Red Sea last week, didn't they? And there continue to be skirmishes between Hezbollah and uh, Israeli forces in the north, but they are only skirmishes, but they're skirmishes that have resulted in the death of two more Lebanese journalists just today. So uh, I think, you know, there's no doubt there are, are forces within the U.S. administration uh, and, the you know, permanent Washington that want war with Iran, uh, that, you know, see this as an opportunity to take out the Iranian regime, so to speak. Um, but, you know, Iran is about to join BRICS, and BRICS also includes Russia and China. And while it's an economic and cooperation development organization rather than a military alliance, nevertheless, uh, it, you know, an unprovoked attack on Iran would be very dangerous. You mentioned the possibility of false flag. I mean... I don't think October the 7th was an entirely false flag operation. Um, in other words, I think uh, I think the Israelis allowed it to happen, and it's certainly an agenda that suits Netanyahu very well. 
You know, it's it's emboldened him. He's had world leaders. I mean, even Biden himself flying halfway around the world to bend the knee and kiss the ring. The most repulsive scenes of fake diplomacy I've ever witnessed. Um, so I think uh, that Israel ignored the warning signs, stories that they moved troops away from the south in the days and hours immediately prior to the concentration camp breakout, plus, of course, many of the casualties on October the 7th were the result of uh, firing from Israeli helicopters. Um, you know, most of the deaths at the music festival, for example, were caused by the Israelis. So, you know, they've allowed this event to be magnified you know expanded out of all proportion people talking about more jewish people killed on that day than any day since the holocaust anything they can any sort of amount of hyperbole to uh, magnify the gravity of the events even though a i think the israelis allowed it to happen because it suited their agenda that they've had the ethnic cleansing and total destruction of gaza in mind for a long long time certainly suited netanyahu personally politically because he was on the ropes and uh, it also of course they've they've amplified the uh, events with all sorts of lies the situation now is that yes there is the possibility of Iran being framed by some event. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, perhaps Iranian commanders turned up in South Lebanon and it was claimed that they were responsible for some further attack. Something like that could happen in the could happen in the Straits of Hormuz with an attack on shipping, could happen with a terrorist attack on US soil, which is subsequently blamed on Hezbollah, although they've got absolutely no track record whatsoever of doing anything like that. But, you know, uh, at this point, anything is possible. No, it is. It is. And that's the big that's the big fear is that some some other dramatic event or, you know, something detonated or a dirty bomb or, you know, the list is endless and something that certainly would cause a trigger for uh, calls to launch some sort of a strike against Iran. That seems to be the big prize. And they're going to have trouble accelerating it, as you've rightly pointed out, Basil. You said the Iranian leadership uh, uh, have not made any overt signals about ex uh, escalation. Um, Hezbollah aside, uh, they're an independent actor in South Lebanon. That's pretty clear to anybody that studied them and follows the region closely. Not uh, not not the U.S. media that don't follow the region very well and claim that they're all on the puppet strings of Tehran, which is not true, including Hamas. Okay. So, but the, the, that would be the end game, Basil, is to, is to draw them in uh, with a confrontation with Iran. Israel would like to bring the U.S. into direct confrontation if he, with Iran and have Israel going and flanking the U.S. They do not want to do that themselves alone. Of course, that would mean the end of Israel as we uh, know it today. So they need the U.S. to sort of do the job for them, do the dirty job. And Israel has been very successful at coaxing the U.S. into doing things like assassinating uh, Iranian Quds Force General Qasem Soleimani, uh, as we saw. Uh, in January of 2020, and uh, also the leader of the PMUs from Iraq, who was in the same car as Soleimani, um, Abu Mahdi Mohandes. So this, uh, Israel set that up and then backed off and, and, and sent the U.S. to do it all by themselves afterwards. And Trump fell for the bait and did it and 
that sort of helped to escalate the tensions. But Basil Valentine, thank you for joining us on TNT this week. Your contribution is much appreciated. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Just a final word, Patrick. About 160 children are killed every day in Gaza, and two children are injured every 10 minutes. Well, that's something to think about in, in your minds, in your hearts, ladies and gentlemen, when we carry on with our lives. Thank you, Basil Valentine. Let's take a break Thank here. Thank you, Patrick. Top of the hour news headlines coming up. I'm yours, Patrick Henningsen. We've got a lot more on the other side, including Sam Parker. Looking forward to this conversation as well. All this and more. Stay with us.